Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Borehamwood Tales. We're talking about the neighbourhood plan. I'm Clive Glover and my guest today is Jackie Sampson. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Clive. Right. So now we're talking about Borehamwood in terms of both of us actually were born and brought up there. Well, I wasn't born actually in Borehamwood, but essentially I've lived there for the first 20 something years of my life. I think you're in pretty much the same situation, but you were um, living there later. So we can cover quite a wide range of times and so on. So why don't you tell me, I mean, basically what you remember about perhaps um, your early days in Borehamwood? Okay, well, I was actually born there. My parents, um, I came from quite a big family and my parents moved there from London via Romford. Uh, My two older siblings were born um, in Romford and then they moved to Borenwood. Anyway, I grew up there. I remember it being uh, nice and green, very local, but without being parochial and villagey. Although, ironically, people used to call the the little town centre the village. I guess that came from times when it truly was a village. So people would say, oh, we're going down the village, or we're going down the ville, look around the shops. Some of us got Saturday jobs down there, and it was en route to the train station with its lovely links into London. Um, I think, yeah, I was pretty happy there. It was a safe place. It wasn't very multicultural. And that's changed now. And I think it's given it much more of a London feel, which for me is personally quite welcome. When I go back there, I've been pleasantly surprised to find it like a lot of sort of North London places. You can get a bagel, you can get a a Turkish kebab. Uh, There's a lot of sort of international flavour to it that wasn't there. But I haven't lived there since 1992. I moved out then when I moved to St Albans. But yeah, I grew up there. And apart from having um, a couple of years where I lived in New York, that was my family home. And we were all happy there. And most of my siblings stayed there until much later. My two, my elder sister moved to Chiswell Green um, in 2001. So she had her family in Borenwood and moved out. And my younger sister followed in 2004. And the very eldest moved out in the 70s. She moved to Milton Keynes. But I was there until I was about 28. Right. Okay. It's interesting, actually. I didn't know you lived in the States. Funnily enough, I left Borenwood because I got a job in the States in, in Washington, D.C. And then when I came back, I didn't move to Borenwood. I moved to Radlett, where I still am. So um, there's a bit of a parallel there. So, okay. Now, I remember particularly, uh, you say it was very green. One of the things I remember, and I think it's sort of where you lived, um, we used to go for sort of walks on Sundays and um, originally the house where um, I was brought up was actually right on the edge of the fields uh, going up Furs Hill Road. Literally, it was all green. But then suddenly they built quite a big estate, which is, I think, the one you actually lived in further up, up sort of top of the hill. Um, and we used to walk up to the horse's home, as we called it. And I think you probably know where I mean. Yes, I do know the horse's home, but I must correct you. I actually lived in one of the established streets, but it wasn't too far from where they built the estate, the horse's home and all of those. And there was also one um, called Byron Avenue, which is where I can't remember whether it was a waterworks or some kind of testing facility that was out near the countryside. But certainly um, when I was very little as a baby, we lived the other side of Borenwood as you boarded onto Shenley. And my mother was a psychiatric nurse and she worked at Shenley and sometimes she used to walk that journey. So one, it was safe 
Uh, and two, it was very pleasant. And there used to be a big social life for the nurses and the doctors. And I can remember them going to the country pubs. I remember they used to go and get their money every week. So when my sister and I, won, my youngest sister, on our school holidays, my mother would take us up there to get her money. And there was a really nice social club. And we'd have a Coca-Cola and a packet of crisps in their garden. And they had a swimming pool that you could extend it to families. So, yes, it was a real mixture of a town environment, but very bordering on the countryside, but surrounded by a lot of my friends' parents. parents excuse me. A lot of my parents' friends were Londoners. So there was this big mixture of people. They were very similar backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people moved after the Second World War into Boreham because it was a village then. Yes. And actually, uh, there's a lot of people I know still who actually still call it the village, meaning basically yes. Shenley Road area. <laughs> yes, it's, <laughs> um, it's stuck. a bit bigger than the village now. Yes, it does. Um, okay, so I remember particularly um, also the other sort of walks around the area. And I think this is an important element for the, the neighbourhood plan because one of the things that people obviously are worried about in places like Borehamwood is the extent of new housing and new factories and all the rest of it, all taking away green spaces. And I think during the pandemic in particular, we, we all learnt, if we didn't already know, that the sort of um, health benefits of being able to walk out in a bit of countryside along some paths and across fields, that kind of stuff. I think it's quite important in the future to still preserve areas as much as you can of these green spaces, because there are still a few left, but unfortunately they're, they're all under a bit of threat from developers. That's, that's the problem I think most people bring up very quickly when you talk about these things. Yes, it definitely seems to be an issue when I go to that area, because my parents are, are buried in Annam Lane Cemetery. Um, I see all the signs everywhere, and I think there's this paradox between people wanting the investment there there's a big demand for people to go to move there um all the the um studios that want to develop there with the the desire for the jobs and and the um prosperity it brings to the town but without cramping out its original style i mean it is a very different place to the place i grew up in that is for sure yeah, actually, the film and TV studios are one of the things we must talk about because I, I often tell my children about how it really it was so um, amazing that um, I didn't. Sorry, we got used to it, but it was very amazing that you could walk around along Shenley Road and suddenly notice somebody very famous, you know, Hollywood A-listers walking along or perhaps sitting in a cafe, that sort of thing. And it's genuinely, genuinely the case. Um, and uh, it's actually gone back a bit like that now. So you, you still sometimes bump into people and think, my goodness, wasn't that so-and-so? Yeah, I remember that from um, when EastEnders started up, which is more years than I care to mention. You'd always see the, the cast of EastEnders. But going to, a, let's call them more salubrious celebrities, you could go to Senor Baffis, which was a really nice Italian bistro at the time. And this is a time, remember, Cl uh, Clive, when people didn't go out to casual restaurants like they did like they do now there were like the wimpy bar places and fish and chip places and posh restaurants and I remember Senor Baffy was there for the top top people and if you did go there as a sort of anniversary or once in a blue moon treat you would quite often see anybody ranging from Paul McCartney to Sean Connery they'd be in there having their dinner but there was there were a few places um, that would cater for that clientele so it did have that allure of glamour, that's for sure.
Well, I remember actually Senior Baffies was very famous. And of course, it was during the time they were filming Star Wars, Harrison Ford used to go there for lunch quite often. And um, that became quite famous. He got a lot of people sort of outside peering in, looking for him. Um, Borenwood, uh, people who lived, ordinary people living in Borenwood were very much enmeshed in that because so many of my peer group had a family member who did something in the studios, as they called it, whether they were a chippy or a painter or they'd moved on to something more, called it prestigious in the business. So many people depended on the business for work. Um, lots of my friends, mum and dads, went to the social clubs. Like ATV Studios used to have a social club and people would get invited. Um, so you'd get sort of grafted on so people found jobs in there they they made contacts there and in those days before a lot of these bars closed and people became more conscious of the drinking and driving thing that's how they got the next job and that's how they got their their kids and siblings into jobs it was very much catered around that social thing I mean when I was um at university, well, in those days, it was called Hatfield Polytechnic. I'm trying to be posh. It was now it's University of Hertfordshire, so I'll take that. Thank you. When I was at university in Hatfield, my summer job was working behind the bar at Elstree Studios, and I got loads of opportunities. I got invited to some screenings. I met people. Um, I tried to make contacts, and it, it was in those days there weren't the security around it so you could sort of just say to a security card oh I'm just going to pop into the bar and ask for a job is that okay and they let you in well you'd never be able to do that now but it's it's been part of my world for a long time and and so many people I know really I think I had the same experience. In fact, um, quite recently, I was watching a very old episode of a TV series from Made in Borenwood um, called Randall and Hopkirk. I don't know if you oh, remember yes. it. Oh, um, But basically, at the end of it, I was watching the credits. I do that kind of thing. Again, that's a habit I think I picked up from being young. Um, and I noticed names there and I thought, oh, actually, that was the father of so-and-so and that's yes. some, you know, the mother of somebody else. Because literally, people in my school class um, their parents all worked there and some of them had jobs I remember a woman who actually um, for example did continuity and I remember fascinated she um, gave a talk once about how she did this you know when you film something you film two or three scenes in the same set and then of course you, you do other things later but when it's edited it, it doesn't all go in one go but so you've got to remember that you know you were wearing that particular tie on that day and then so she had a big long notebook and took down all the, all yeah. the sort of details of what people were wearing and all the rest of it the, the coat was buttoned up with three buttons not four all this sort of really tiny details which she had to keep track of and then when they filmed the next bit which was actually going to be the sort of continuous scene after the one they'd filmed several days ago or a week ago and that was amazing um, I also used to catch the bus outside what was the Red Lion but it's now McDonald's yeah uh, because I went to school in Barnet and um, I see people like you know um, uh, Roger Moore driving in in the morning to do his filming that sort of stuff you could sort of see all these people say, oh that was so and so and that was somebody else and mm. it, it's, it's really part of life which I think in a way that you know you sort of didn't appreciate was so different from everybody else's I can remember all the teenage girls standing outside what's now BBC Elstree when it was ATV Studios and I can't remember the shows they did record in there but they were like these music shows and they'd be all there screaming in the 70s and early 80s at you know the latest 
boy bands or whatever. I can remember some of my friends making a big effort to go down there. I never did. It wasn't that wasn't my scene. But certainly I can remember my friends getting all dressed up and standing there shouting out, I don't know, the equivalent of Donny Osmond, I love you, or whoever it was down there at the time. Yeah, those are the well, days. I also remember a story. My mother came home and was moaning about some hooligans who she'd seen in, in the street. She'd come out of Woolworths and someone sort of shut the door on her and she got really annoyed about it. And then on that particular occasion, she was sort of looking at the front page of the Radio Times, which had a picture of the Beatles on it. She said, that's them. Oh, how funny. He, shan- he slammed the door on me. That was Ringo, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. So, I mean, obviously now we've gone back. I think at the time, been the sort of late 60s, early 70s, when I was um, particularly going around a lot in Borehamwood as a sort of teenager, um, there was something like seven studios in total. And, of course, mm-hmm. a lot of them closed down for various reasons. And we've got housing estates where there used to be the MGM studio and so on. Uh, but now, of course, they've, it's gone back again. And we've now got um, three studios, including the new Sky Studios, which is enormous. And so I think it's sort of going back that way. And presumably we're going to having um, all these people around again. So the current generation of young children and so on are probably going to grow up in the same sort of environment that we did in the sense of the sort of film and television industry being very, very prominent. Yes, but with the added security where we got a lot closer to these people than they're able to but i think that the uh, the british the, the british um crews have got are held in such high regard that quite often these um american companies and indeed international companies come over here and want to use our crews our technical expertise i think it's still there and there's a lot of people that are living actually in a 10 mile radius of um Elstree and Boromwood and Leavesden that work in the business. So I can see why they want to continue that heritage, really, of, of, of keeping it very industry focused. Well, as people come a lot further than that, a friend of mine lives in Beaconsfield in Buckinghamshire and she's a next door neighbour, is a makeup artist who's got a sort of mobile van with all the makeup stuff. And she was working on Strictly. So she was having to drive every day at crack of dawn to get here to do all the makeup for the Strictly people who, of course, film in Elstree yeah Mm -hmm. um so it it spreads very wide okay so let's talk about some of the other things now one of the things that i think is different now and was actually really nice in my time was things called youth clubs now the words are still used but i think most young people these days don't really know what we're talking about Um, and um there were basically a clubs that you could go to um i remember going to one on friday nights at one of the church halls um i suppose for sort of 16 years upwards um people so um youngsters but sort of um near adults um and you could go off and that you know you have um, a place where you just sort of meet up and hang out i suppose probably realistically um and they were a place that you obviously met people and made friends and the rest of it in a way that you sort of don't do anywhere else nowadays because there's no such places to meet in that way no um, I think that's something that I would suggest would be nice to try and replicate, but I don't know whether today's youngsters would really um, appreciate that. Well, they seem to be um, living this sort of bubble where they kind of connect with their devices. They don't. They seem to prefer to message each other rather than pick up the phone. I, mean, I don't know. I can remember being told off and my mother putting locks on the, on the old landlines, but they don't see, even though they get free calls, they don't seem to desire to do that. It does seem to be a much more um, 
I don't know, lonely pursuit. They seem to be in this self-contained bubble. But certainly I do remember those kind of clubs and after school disco things. My sister, who's one of my sisters who's seven years older than me, I remember they all began with an L. There was Legion, the Lynx and Lair. I don't know what the lair was, and I guess the Legion was something the British Legion used to do for the kids of members. But these places, I can remember, they used to start about six and go on only to about eight or nine, and there'd be a record player, and there'd be sweets and, I don't know, cream soda, you know, fizzy drinks. And, you know, there'd be the boy you fancied from school, and it was that younger um, you know, like I say, pre-adult scene. And when we were chatting earlier on, you mentioned the Civic Hall, which is now a swimming pool. And going down the Civic on, I can't remember if it was a Monday night or a Thursday night was a big deal. So if you had enough pocket money, going there for that disco, that was something else. You were with the in crowd if you were going down there for the Civic Disco. I remember it well. <laughs> right. Okay, yes, of course, the... the... That's the other things that we, we used to have um, a big theatre, which, as you say, was the Civic Centre. Um, when that was demolished, I can't remember when it was, um, it was promised there would be a new one, but it never really happened. And that's where the swimming pool still is now. Um, so there is a sort of deficiency, I think, perhaps in Borehamwood for a theatre. Um, yeah. They did for a while have the Ark Theatre, which was attached to Hartswood School, the, the lower site, they called it. Mm. But that, of course, was demolished uh, with the, that part of the school, and there's a new housing estate there. Everything in lockdown, they put the house, new houses up, it seems. Um, so that's something I think for the future would be rather uh, a good idea to have a new theatre of some kind, because, um, you know, even here in Radlip, which is much smaller, we have our local theatre, which is absolutely brilliant. It's only a five minute walk away from where I live. So that's fantastic. <laughs> mm. Yes, they've got it in Radlett, uh, They've got it in Harpingdon and they, they've got two, haven't they, in St Albans, at least two. So yeah. St Albans uh, really does need one, especially with think- its heritage. I think that's true. And um, yes, I, I recently went to the Harpenden Theatre, the new one, the Eric Morgan one. It is brilliant. It's massive as well. Um, and it's very impressive. So something like that would be great. But of course, that's umpteen million pounds, no doubt, to build yes. such a thing. And you need a site to put it on, which I'm not sure is so easy no. to find either. But there you go. OK, well, that's our recommendation, certainly. A new yes. theatre, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so some of the other things, I mean, we had Obviously, Shenley Road has been the, the shopping centre, effectively, of the town for uh, ever, I suppose. Um, I believe um, I have seen some photos from way back in the sort of late 40s, early 50s. And there was uh, a parade of shops, but not the sort of main parade, which is the one built in the 60s, which is, um, uh, I can't quite describe it. It's, it's the main one along Shenley Road from sort of where senior baffies used to be all the way along mm-hmm. to, um, I suppose, well, Iceland, I think, is the, the end of the, the road. Yes. Um, that could do with a bit of updating, but I mean, it's, it's certainly thriving again now. It, it did go a bit sort of downhill a few years ago, when particularly when Tesco's opened up their gigantic supermarket, um, and so a lot of the street disappeared and shops shut. But now, as you say, a lot of them are really new restaurants and cafes and takeaways, which seems to be the, mm. the thing in most towns. Which is there I think a little is... marketplace as well? I seem to remember there may be a little market there as well. Well, there has been a, a market. Um, for some years now but it's diminished so it got down to just a handful of stalls and I think they're going to actually close it it hasn't really sort of oh. taken off in the way 
it's certainly not like St Albans. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, that's something that could happen. But I think one of the real big things, of course, is the old sellotape factory, which you will remember as I do, was yes. closed down, and that's now converted into this big shopping centre, which has not one, not two, but three supermarkets. You know, as, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yes, there's Marks and Spencers, Aldi, and Lidl, all in that that area. Plus now there's a big Asian supermarket, which is actually really huge, with all sorts of food from um, places like Korea and uh, and Chinese food and so on, as oh. well as some other shops and and so on. And it's really quite impressive because what you've got is effectively an out of town shopping centre in the town, because you can walk through from Shenley Road. Yes, and then also it's right at the top of the town near the station. Exactly. Yes. So that's it. And obviously the people who come to Borenwood are the same people who've been coming for many years in terms of it's a very convenient place to go to get into London on the train. And I think yes. the number of commuters, I don't know how many it is, but it's obviously many thousands every day. Um, although these days, of course, it's only on, was it, um, they call it twats, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> yes, it's all changed. I mean, I used to actually be able to walk to the station from where I spent my adult life, you know, the, the place we lived in for the longest time was um, a doable walk. And I always felt safe if I went out in London after work, I always felt safe walking home. Not that you needed to, because you could come right out of the station and there were two or three taxi offices right nearby. Yeah. Fact, that's how I met my husband. He used to be a taxi driver, which is oh. another, another link, because so many um, of the people who worked in the taxi industry did get seconded on to film productions. So they too became unit drivers and chauffeured around these celebrities like it was an everyday occurrence. So it is very linked. Who does what for who? <laughs> Absolutely. That's interesting. I mean, yes, I certainly, um, once I, I got a job, it was in London, so I had to commute. And, of course, in those days we had, well, it wasn't quite steam trains, but I think we had, had the horrible old diesel trains for many years. And uh, although they went quite fast, I mean, I think someone showed me a, a timetable for the, the trains from Borehamwood, and actually, in sort of about eighteen eighty or eighteen ninety, the, it went straight through to St Pancras in something like ten minutes, mm. <laughs> which is um, a lot quicker than it does now. But I suppose they probably didn't have speed limits on trains in those days. Well, when I was when I was doing it, when my working life started in um, the sort of late eighties, they were fast trains. You could get ones that were sort of a bit like how it's gone now, but they were more semi-fast trains. So you could go Borenwood, Mill Hill, then non-stop. Um, whereas now I think a lot of it is all stations from Elstree. I'm not exactly sure. But I remember being able to get into London, working with people. It, I remember it's somewhere in the city. I don't exact, can't remember exactly where. And saying to people, it only takes me half an hour to go from you know, to get here. And they said, I can't believe that you live in the sticks. But these people were living in places like Wimbledon, places that are London, and it was taking them a lot longer to get to the office than it did me, because literally, I had this in my head, it was about 17 or 18 minutes from Boreham Wood. And my weekly travel card was £17. Now, God knows what it would be now, 117 probably for a week. And when you, I can look, I don't know what made me do it but once I looked at the kind of money I was earning having just come out of um, university I took an unskilled job just to temp while I was looking for the dream job and I was getting paid nine pounds an hour and I wasn't a train secretary or PA but I was able to cope and my train fare was 17 pounds for the week 
Now they don't get much more than nine pounds an hour and God knows how much the fare is. So it's very, very different for people. Yeah, I think of being at work. I think obviously I was in a similar position. And once you started getting money in, you, you had money to spare because I was still living at home with my parents anyway. Um, and so I think that's one of the things. And I remember particularly on Saturdays, I did two things quite often. One was I got on my bicycle and I cycled down to the library, which was along Elstree Way. And I, I, I was an avid reader in those days. So I used to have sort of five or six books I'd read during the week and then take them back and get some new ones every time. And that was one of my sort of Saturday morning routines. And the other thing was, of course, that um, it was the, the 60s and 70s was a time when you could go and buy records. And that was very trendy, of course, the music, what was the top 10 and top 20 and all those sort of mm. things. And we had a shop which was um, in... I can't remember which name of it, actually. I want to call it Rumblows, but I think that was the I think it was Rumblows. There was definitely a Rumblows. I, I was trying to... And the other one, I remember the um, paper that you've got your records and albums in were pink and blue stripes. I can't remember which uh, shop that was. Yeah, it was a yeah. big deal. And people I, and you used to get down there early because they'd run out of that. Well, exactly. <laughs> and it was, um, yeah, it was also in Woolworths was the other place where you could go, of course, in those days to buy records and things that they caught on a bit later. But, but it was quite a big thing. And then, of course, come home straight away and play it 16 times on your record player. Until you got told off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Louder and louder, of course, until someone said, no, shut up. All that <laughs> horrible noise. Um, yeah, that's right. Well, that's part of growing up in anywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> right. So. Are there any things that you can think of which maybe were not quite so good? I mean, I I remember doing things like um, I got quite got into using buses to travel around into London and so on. For example, one of my grandmothers lived in uh, North London and it, it took three or four buses to get there, I remember. But I did it when I was sort of 17 just to prove I could do it. And that was quite an interesting thing. So, yeah, we had quite good ability to go on trains and buses out to areas, which is one of the things that I think is still not so good these days that there are buses and of course there are the trains they're very expensive and i think they're not very frequent i mean for example the bus which goes between radley and borenwood um, only runs once an hour which is actually really really poor mm. i don't i mean it's been years since i got buses around about Hertfordshire, but i remember again one of my jobs when i was doing my a levels was in brent cross and having to get two buses to get there which was okay if they coordinated, but if they didn't, you knew all about it. However, um, generally, it was quite a fun thing for myself and my friends to do, to get a red bus rover. So you've only got the ticket and sort of making your way around London with this little bus ticket that lasted all day on the weekend used to be a lot of fun. But as far as what was not so good, I, I don't know, maybe it was a growing up thing. I very much wanted to get out into the big wide world and I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. Maybe I was too tainted by the lure of the um, the film and TV industries, but I felt there was a big wide world out there and a lot of my peer group were quite happy to be very parochial and local and not really want to expand their horizons. But I guess you can say that about anywhere. You can say that about any town, anywhere, that people tend to stay generally on their home turf. But I did find it a little bit insular, let's say, at times. Mm. Whereas now we've got this big, diverse community, which I think is welcome in many, many ways. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Now, the other thing um, I think, uh, oh, I was going to ask you, actually, the film industry, TV, were you ever in any TV or film? film? Well, yes. Um, one, I worked in some of the production offices. And two, in later years, since I've lived here, I did a lot of film extra work. So I was in Holby. I've done EastEnders. I've, um, what else? A lot of sort of commercials and, th- and one-off series that were filmed down there, yes. Oh, I didn't realise you were such a celebrity yourself. <laughs> uh, as recent as October of 21, I did one of the last Holby Cities. And oh, sometimes wow. they were crowd scenes and a couple were what they call walk-ons where I was more featured. Probably got them on video somewhere. Because <laughs> I... It enabled me to get my equity card, actually, those walk-ons. Oh, fantastic. Now, I, I nev- never been sort of formally in it, but I was actually in one film when I was sort of standing out- outside watching it being filmed with, with my bicycle. And I was basically then invited to sort of push my bike across the screen during something. And I did actually find that film once um, and said, yeah, that really was me. Oh, look. <laughs> yeah. My other claim to fame is when I was at school, uh, I went to Hillside School and they were very big on drama. They had a teacher there called Alan Stronach and another lady there called Leslie Deniza. And they really pushed the sort of the kids into appreciating drama and acting. And they did this production called Ego, which was a a musical they crafted based on Elton John's um, work. And I was one of the dancers in that production and went on Blue Peter. So Hillside School, Boreham Wood was on Blue Peter. And that would have been late 70s sometime. <laughs> so that's my other claim to fame. <laughs> of course, Hillside School is still there in in a sense because it's actually now Yavna College. It was going to be knocked down and turned into a housing estate. But um, luckily, people bought it and turned it into yes. Yavna. Um, and I was there giving a talk recently and um, I mentioned it somehow about Hillside and the students were very interested and hadn't heard about it at all. And they sort of went away and started investigating at the library about the story of Hillside School. I don't know why they were so interested, but they hadn't realised there'd been a school there for probably what, 80 years or something. Mm. Same as Homesville, exactly the same. That got turned in. I went there as when it was a, when they changed. I'm of the era when they went from, I don't know, the first school and then the secondary school. So I kind of went to what they called a middle school, halfway through what would have been my first school, infant school, whatever. And that was Holmes Hill. And I remember that, that closed down and became a, an estate or, you know, a housing development, I should say. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and um, my primary school, which was brilliant, which was Furs Hill School, was actually... Um, turned into a sort of uh, a nursery school and housing as well which is very sad because it was a, a fantastic school and it had a yes. very good reputation deservedly although I do remember that my class there we had 45 um, pupils in in a class that that's not allowed these days you can only have 30 wow. um, but it didn't do us any harm and a lot of the people then went on to very very good jobs and some of them I've sort of found out later um, I, I've met some of them I, I still see some people you know, all went on to have very amazing careers all over the place. And it's, uh, it's quite interesting how you can sort of follow that things up. I suppose these days you can, of course, you can find them on Facebook, even though you haven't seen anybody for 50 years or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway, look, uh, Jackie, it's been really nice talking to you. Yeah, it's um, nice I, talking I, to you. I'm not sure we've actually come up with lots of things to um, put into the neighbourhood plan as such, but I think that the general impression of Borehamwood as it was and as it could still be is part of this. Um, I think that um, it is food for thought. You know, we did say, for example, a theatre would be rather nice. Thank mm. you very much. Um, but also the, the keeping some green spaces and places to walk around in is very essential. Yes. I mean, the ideal, the ideal scenario would be to keep their village feel, their, their touch of old school Hollywood glamour, but with the need to develop and change and, and keep the, the best acts excuse me, the best aspects of diversity and inclusion because it has added character to the town. But you have to be very careful to keep that balancing act that you don't take away what it was. Yeah, my, my, own, <laughs> my only suggestion is that we need a great big sign that says Bore and Wood up on the hills. Yes. Like, like the Hollywood one. Yeah. <laughs> or they, I mean, the Facebook group where people put Bore and Wood, not Elstree. They're proud that they're boring word, not the posh people in Elstree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've seen that. I think yeah, I remember okay. that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks very much for that. And All right, nice Clive. to meet you. And we'll speak again soon, I'm sure. All right, Clive. Take care now. Bye. Bye.